No, I think I think this is what qualifies as a rock star. Oh, looks the part anyway. No. I mean, you're on the road. You're in a kind of a hipster hotel lounge. Yeah. You're carrying growlers. Growlers. Did you see? The one just passed us right there. Do you call them growlers over here? I don't know what you're referring That's to. It's the glass bottle you put beer in when you go to a, a... What do you guys call them in Canada? You don't call them growlers? They're growlers. They're growlers? No, I think we call them a jug. Yeah, it'd be a jug. I mean, yeah. it's definitely a jug, but it's kind of a jug with a purpose. Hey, everybody. Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Podcast. This is uh, the podcast. Uh, been spending a lot of time with you lately. It seems like uh, we're hanging out more than we used to. And a lot of new people are joining us, and you're always welcome. I'm glad you're here. In fact, if uh, if I haven't taken t- time to greet you, it's only because there's so much other crap going on that I, it's it's fallen to the wayside, and it should not fall to the wayside. If if you've not listened to this podcast before, it's just a community of people that think about resilience and reliability, and most of us have jobs where we have to help people manage high-risk work and that kind of stuff, high-risk outcomes. We deal a lot with uncertainty, but, you know, you're an expert at that because if you live in the world I live in, the same planet I'm upon, uh, you're dealing with uncertainty every single day. And that has uh, been a big part of our narrative for a while. Today's podcast is a little different. It's pre-COVID-19. Uh, in fact, it's, it's barely pre-COVID-19. It's like a week pre-COVID-19, but it's a discussion, and it's a discussion I've been wanting to have with um, – David Proven, uh, he is Drew Ray's partner on the Safety of Work podcast, but he's also a remarkable safety thinker and has quite a company. Uh, he's going to talk about it, actually, in the podcast in Australia. I wonder what he's doing now, but I wonder what we're all doing now. Hell, I don't have a clue what we're doing now. But I wanted to get this out there, even though I don't think it's as timely as it is <clears throat> as the other ones because it is – it's pre-COVID. I mean, it's the old world, not the world we live in now. But I think there's lots of benefit to it. And I think it's kind of like the sorbet. It'll cleanse your mind a little bit. Think about a world that was much simpler, a world without COVID-19. And that's kind of what you're going to hear, at least in this podcast. And that's a big part of it. We were in um, in the Gong, Wollongong, I think I'm saying that right, Australia. And uh, our hotel we stayed in. We sat down to do a podcast. I asked David, I said, do you have a few moments? I got my stuff. And he said, I'd be glad to be on uh, the world's most popular safety podcast. Thank you, David. You're so sweet. So we sat down to record it. And you should know we got kicked out of, I've never been kicked out of a hotel lounge before because I thought hotel lounges were hotel lounges. And we were both guests there, but we got kicked out kind of about halfway through, which is probably fine because I think we would have gone way too long. But uh, it's a great conversation. It's a conversation that I think you're going to enjoy listening to. And that's what we're going to do. So sit back and relax. Take some time. I won't talk much longer, maybe a little bit on the end of it. I hope you're doing okay. Um, This will help because it really will remind you of a time. I can't believe I'm saying this, but a a simpler time because this this was a simpler time. I don't know how else to say that. Here's David Proven. Um, uh, He's... He's well worth the listen. Sit back and relax and enjoy. We're going to have a nice conversation. 
So tell us what's been going on. What's interesting? What's new? So what's going on, I suppose, where um, we're starting to do more and more consulting work with organisations in the new view space. So organisations in Australia, at least, are starting to get a little bit bolder with these ideas. And, and what we found is when they start doing some new view work, they just... They bolt a few learning teams onto their side of their organisation, but they kind of don't fundamentally change the way that they think right. about how they're doing safety. Do you safety. think learning teams help start that dialogue? Is it, is it the beginning of change? Because I'm really mixed on this because I see learning teams as a tool but not a product. And it worries me that people want to do something so much that they use these learning teams in lieu of actually shifting the paradigm and, and going into another level. But they see it as successful because it it's normally pretty successful. Yeah, I think that's a – I'd agree with that comment. That's that's a fair comment. I think depending on how the organisation does learning teams, whether it really tries to understand how to use them the way that they can be really, really effective. Um, but when they're just sort of seeing it as a program and, and doing a few of these things to be yeah, trying to do something uh, – just, just trying to do something different without really committing in behind right. it and without acting on any of the lessons that come out and not actually changing the way that right. they, they make decisions, then I don't think it does Yeah, I see, and I see it kind of dangerous almost in a way. It's almost, it's almost anti-theoretical to what we want to do. It's in lieu of change. Yeah, I think um, you know, sitting around in a room for a day or two days and having a great conversation and eating some good food and then walking away and still running your organisation the way that you've always run it is kind of a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the worst kind of waste of time because they feel like they've been inoculated. Yeah. So, well, yeah, we went through that training. We did all that, and now we do it. And any group that says they do it, that immediately scares me. And I think now, and then managers and safety professionals actually think they understand work has done after they've done a couple of learning teams, and then that gives them almost more confidence to then run off and make decisions in isolation because they're actually they're sort of like... Uh, Consciously incompetent. Yeah, I think it's probably a, it's very psychological, but it's a good way to talk about it. So, talk about your company. I'm curious about your company. Yeah, so our company, um, Forgeworks, was sort of something that I always wanted to do because when I was a practitioner for 20 years, I, I always struggled to find the right safety consulting advice from outside. You know, companies that weren't going to come with um, off the shelf products and try to sell me something that I didn't need just because it was part of their product catalogue. Um, you know, I'd done in interventions like many practitioners had with, with the DuPonts of the world and, and the big, big four kind of management consultancy firms. And what I wanted to create was something that would seek to understand the problems that organisations face and then co-design um, improvement programs or solutions with them um, and build capability into the organisations and pri primarily through the safety team because I don't, I don't know why an organisation would pay to have an entire safety team and then sort of sideline them and engage safety consultants. That kind of feels like double paying for, for something. So, you know, we, we always try to work with the internal capability in the organisation, improve it, strengthen it, support it, and then design something that's going to be um, directly relevant and useful to that business. But, I mean, on the downside, it's really hard to manage scale and quality. With a, with a business that doesn't have any off-the-shelf products. Well, it's interesting you talk about, yeah, so first of all, yeah, I, and, and there's nothing flashy to sell, right? So you don't have the sexy product that you can come in with the brochure and the Bradley curve. Oh, sorry, the curve, <laughs> the maturity curve that sometimes is called Bradley. But I'm interested in two things. One is why do you think the safety professionals have the hardest time accepting help. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think how to ask this question politically. It strikes me they have the most vested interest and so the highest sunk cost in making changes. Yeah. So, 
sunk cost is a really good way um, of describing it, Todd. I think either they they don't believe that something needs to change because they've built a career and 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 um, and reputation based on what they've been doing, so they don't believe they need to change. Or if they do need to change, then how they then go about back to their organisation and putting their hands up and saying, actually, we've been approaching this whole thing wrong. And I did that. I mean, in 2010, when I really reflected on what I've been doing in my career and wanted to make a change, I went back to the executive team of my organisation and said, I've been getting this wrong. You know, how did that feel? I mean, what what that look like? Talk us through that. I'm curious. Well, I was kind of at the end of my frustration because the organisation was just telling us to try harder, telling us to make the injuries go away and telling us to try harder doing the things that we were always doing, compliance and rules and training and and and, and managing workers into, into sort of the square pegs that we wanted them to be and it just wasn't working and, and all my time in the field was just telling me that that was not the way that work happens, that's not what the workers needed. Um, so I was, kind of in, I was kind of in one of those spots where it was either stand up and say we need to do this differently or you know, probably either leave the profession or leave my job and go and find something else to do because I just no longer had any belief that what we were doing was useful um, to the people who were exposed to the risk. So midlife crisis kind of? Yeah, midlife crisis. So a lot of people would buy a Corvette <laughs> or have an affair or both. I mean, both are an option. Well, well when we started doing this work and then I, um, you know, Sydney Decker was had come to Australia in 2012. So I went to him and I said kind of like, what, what does all this stuff mean? What does all this new view stuff mean for the safety profession? And um, his answer to me was, well, I think the whole safety profession is pretty much an unnecessary nuisance. Like if they all just went away and managers did what managers should do and workers were kind of engaged in the process with managers, then you kind of don't need the, um, the profession. They don't actually bring any new expertise to the process. And so my... And, and did that threaten you? Hugely. I was like the existential crisis. So I said, well, come on, Sydney. So surely there's... This is a huge resource that organisations have got invested um, for safety. So surely there's a way that we can turn this resource into... You know, something positive for organisations like good rather than evil. So my, so I then started started um, my PhD on what is the role of a safety professional. What, how could we use this resource within an organisation to support the capacities that organisations needed to you know, make their work workers successful? Um, and here I am now. And and how did it go? I mean, what, walk us through the change that happened organisationally. I mean, did 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 the people accept the fact that you said we're doing it wrong? Well, so it was interesting because initially, no, because management has some fairly strong ideas about what they think organization, the organisation needs to do improve, to improve. So I said, at the time, I said, give me four weeks. We're going to go into the organisation and ask the workers what they need to be successful and to be a, safer. Did you have a burning platform? Had you had a fatality or a serious accident? Yeah, had, well, did you have a reason or did yeah, you just we, go into this? So we'd started a, a, a massive... Um, LNG project, and we'd sort of mobilised about 15,000 workers um, at the start of a big construction project. So the injury rates had like gone up by 400% sure. within six months. So the burning platform, in a sense of, you know, was was kind of there in the in the injury performance. So management just needed a, a, a big and strong reaction to that performance trend. And I just said, just give me give me a couple of weeks. Um, I don't know what we need to do yet, but I'm going to go and find out what we need to do. And so then. Then I kind of went and got some data. I, I took managers and safety advisors into the field and we just talked to people on the front line about their experience of, you know, how safe they felt or, you know, what was challenging with their work, what they need to be successful. And, you know, then then I came back to the organisation and said, you know, we did 
50, 60, 70 visits to different sites and discussions with teams. And, you know, none of those workers said, you know, give us more rules, you know, give us more safety training. You know, like none of those things that management had on the table is going to be really, really useful and effective interventions were what the workers said. And and that was enough data for the organisation to kind of listen, just having that data of saying what you guys think is not what your people think. That's a remarkable story, though. I mean, it's remarkable in that you were go out, you're able to go out and pilot and do all these focus groups and talk to people. But it's remarkable that when you came back and said none of the groups wanted more leadership, they wanted more rules, they wanted more regulations, more compliance, that management was able to accept that. It was a fairly compelling set of data, you know. It was a fairly it, compelling set of data. So it this still is what requires a maturity level of managers to be able to accept that data. I mean, I can imagine a scenario where they said, you know, that's, well, they don't know what they're talking about. I know better than they do. Yeah, and, and, and you'd know there's a whole lot of politics around that. I mean, I had some good supporters. I had some good credibility uh, mm-hmm. with, within um, senior stakeholders. I had some, some space that allowed me to be listened to, and, uh, and then I got support of the middle management in the organisation that didn't just want to do another program that senior manager to management had pushed down. And I think I had the respect and the support of the safety organisation as well. That just So... So I don't think it could happen in any organisation, but I would say that uh, that you, know, you can go into your organisation and get information and hold that information up logically and rationally to your top management and say, you can go and do this. That's fine. We can, we can do this, but your people don't think that it's going to make any difference. So, and in fact, your people are probably going to think it's a, a waste of resource and a waste of time and makes their work harder. Um, so you can kind of you, you can separate yourself even further from where your work, workforce is now, or, or we can do some things together that actually bring you guys closer to you know what your people need. And, and and I think management today can understand that. You know they want to be more effective organisations. They want to be more efficient organisations. They want to have better culture. And you know, I think some of these these things are easier for organisations to understand now. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. How did this become ForgeWorks? And, and why the name ForgeWorks? That's the second question. That's actually <laughs> maybe the most important question for me, at least. So look, the business—it's—it's it's, it's a long story. I'll try not to be too long. So we I got start, nothing but time. <laughs> I started, it's, it's a podcast. You just want to kill time. That's yeah. Look, whole... I mean, um, I, I started a business called Safety Twenty One. It was meant to be safety for the twenty-first century, and and the basis of that was to say that look, it's it, it's twenty twenty, and you know, it sounds like a girls' clothing line, <laughs> does it? Yeah, oh, Safety Twenty One. Oh, good. Let's go, to okay. the, let's go to the mall and go to Safety 21. They've got really good leotards. Yeah, so there you go. Well, um, so, but the idea was I could walk into most organisations and, and, and look at what they were doing in safety and find the exact same thing that I found when I started my career in the 1990s, and, and, like procedures and training, induction and audits and, and lost control systems or, or whatever it was. It was kind of like it's like two decades of innovation and research in other disciplines and we were still kind of going, let's make a better checklist. So that was the idea behind Safety 21, you know, looking at research and practice in the 21st century and organisations today and, and, and what they needed to manage the complex environments they're in. And then once we started growing, um, we started to realise we, we were doing work that wasn't really just safety. It was kind of like um, operational improvement work and, and the name wasn't very unique. So we, we invested a bit in branding and strategy and then... Um, try to practice what you preach. So I had a strategy company came come in and I could see them being a bit uncomfortable and I said, okay, well, what do you really want to say? I said, oh, your name's, your name's rubbish. Um, it's, it's not unique. It's, it, it's not different. 
Um, in a couple of years, you're going like to be a girl's clothing yeah, line. Yeah, it sounds like a girl's clothing line. In a couple of years, you're going to be talking people that you know were born in the 21st century and stuff like that. So, oh it's, God, it's, really? It's, they said that? Yeah, they said. Oh it. man, that's humbling. That's it's got no that, longevity. Ooh, that, that makes it that hurts a little, kind of. Yeah. So then, so then we basically did like a w- word association type ink block test, which is what are the words that resonate really well with how you guys see yourself as a business and and forge was a was a word that you know we really resonated with. You know, forge means to you know move ahead in a general direction, mm-hmm. you know, following a set of principles or a set of coordinates or something and come across adventure and challenges and difficulties but kind of, you know, work to overcome those. And and we also like the um, the forging relationships and forging ahead and, you know, all of these things that are really kind of representative of organisational approach, you know, organisational life. Um, and then you get into the... the, the um, you know, what are we going to pair it with? Because, you know, you can't go and buy Forge.com unless you, uh, you've got yeah. a couple of million dollars yeah, to spend. Say, <laughs> um, so then we wanted to do something that was like, that was active, a bit like a verb, you know. So like, you know, Forgeworks was designed to be like, um, you know, a bit of a throwback to the Industrial Revolution and times of blacksmithing and yeah. like, you know, be, be action orientated and be yeah, progressive. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it just kind of came together like that over, over a few months and, um, you know, at one point we had a bigger team around us in terms of a marketing person and a strategy person and a copywriting person. There was a bigger support team than we actually had as a employee base. But um, you know, we're really happy with how it all kind of came together, and um, you know, it seems to it seems to go pretty well in the market. So we're we're really happy. Where do you see the future? What What are you looking for in ten years? In fifteen years? So my um my hope, or I, I suppose it's a bit of a life's a work-related life purpose now, I sort of say to enhance the capability of the global safety profession. You know, my hope is that we've got, you know, there might be a million safety professionals in the world. I think when I look at look at it, you know. So I just heard there's um, there's three million safety professionals in China alone. I there just, you go. I just heard that data. There you go. Well, I tried to do the sums and tried to look at the number of people that were in the INSPO professional associations and times that by about four or five in terms of how many extra people that are in the roles that aren't part of their professional association. Try to look at just the English-speaking market and the numbers straight away over a million dollars. Sorry, over a million uh, over a million people. Um, Freudian slip. That was Freud. Freudian slip. That's a consultant brain That's just right. kicking <laughs> in going, how big is this market? This is um, over a million dollars. But, yeah. <laughs> but my... My hope is that um, that we can really reach as many of those people as we can and help them improve their organisations from the inside out. What's that look like? Um, so we're you know we're working on a on a on a scalable sort of coaching and development service at the moment, which is sort of going to come out this year under under a new brand called Safety Futures, which is going to be about helping the safety profession you know create a better safety future for themselves and for their organisation. So but sort of action learning orientated kind of like um, um, professional development, basically introduction to all of these different types of ideas and and some things that they can do in their organisations and reflect on and to, to develop greater capability, um, to think about their role in different ways, in new ways, in more effective ways, um, and just reach as many, of, as many people in the profession as we can because really you can't really change too much as a small consulting business going job to job. But, you know, we feel like we can we can make some real change if we can kind of reach people in their roles. Is um, that why you did, like, the workshop you did last week with Eric and 
and um, Dr. Decker, although he wasn't officially there, right? <laughs> no, no, Sydney was a participant um, in Brisbane Safety Team practice, Safety Team Bruce Vegas, which was uh, two weeks ago. Uh, Bris Vegas? Bris Vegas. That's actually a really good word for Brisbane. <laughs> if you've never been to Brisbane, that kind of makes sense. Although you know the casino won't let me in. In Brisbane? Yeah. They, what they, did you do there? You can't wear a hat. Really? And they were so mean to me about it that I said, well, if I can't wear my hat, I'm not coming in. And they said, well, we don't want you. Really? So I said, well, I don't want to come in. So could, you not, could you not have called it a religious hat or something? I didn't. I wish I would have thought of that. No, yeah. what, you know what they told me? I couldn't wear a hat because it messes up their ability to do face identification. Oh, overhead. Yeah. No, the, face I, the, the AI. The, um, oh, okay. They, they use AI to identify, um, I guess, casino cheats. I mean, yeah. I, I don't like, they didn't say that part, but I'm guessing that's what it is. Wow. There you go. So... You guys had a standoff and you walked out? Yeah. And you know, there's only one casino in Brisbane. And it's a casino. I mean, the, the way I got to figure it figured is if you don't go to a casino, you won. <laughs> so yeah. so I, I think I kind of won. But, but yeah, that's uh, Brisbane, Vegas. So how did that there meeting go. go? So the meeting went well. We had, um, we had more than 90 people in the room. God, we that's had, crazy, really? Yeah. we had All Australian or where were they from? No, we had some down from, um, from Hong Kong and other parts of Asia, uh-huh. a couple over from, from the States. We had people from New Zealand um, and, and all over Australia. We had people from almost every industry. We had construction, mining, oil and gas and healthcare. And um, it, it was just a, it, it was a great conversation. We, we had industry speakers who'd been working with these ideas for, you know, some of them more than five or six years. I think they were able to show some real holistic change in their organisational approach. So companies like Queensland Urban Utilities, which was part of um, Sydney's Doing Safety Differently video that came out in December. We had um, other organisations that we'd been working with, consulting or Griffith University had been working with over the last five or six years. So I think that gave a lot of people a lot of inspiration and motivation and practical guidance about you know, how to take these steps. A little bit like what you do in all of your workshops, Todd. It's the stories, it's the examples, it's kind of like the, the small changes that they can make tomorrow in the way they think or the way that they act um, and sort of people feeling like they've got permission to and a means to go and do that. What advice would you give people today, knowing what you know now, you've been on the journey a pretty good long time. I mean, it's, it's done big changes for you. Yeah. What would you say? You can do a lot one conversation at a time. You know, you can, so, so in the room the other week with, um, with it, I, I sort of asked everyone in the room, put your hands up if you think that injury rates are a bad um, indicator measure of safety. Everyone in, put, in the room put their hand up. Then I asked the room, hands up if you've had that conversation with your CEO and your board and half the hands went down. I said, well, well you kind of got to have the conversation. You know, and, and, and that's what I probably learnt when I really started to try and change a very large organisation. When I tr- was trying to do it, there's 20,000 people, um, huge geographic and operational diversity, um, and just started having the open conversations. And, and people listen. People listen to, to good evidence and good data and, and, and a strong narrative and good stories. Um, so that would be my encouragement to people that, you know, don't complain about your organization if you haven't at least had the conversation with your organization. Do me a favor. Keep doing it. It's fun to watch you. Yeah, thanks. We're, um, we're, we're having a lot of fun. We're feeling like we can help more organizations than we could just working within one. And, um, yeah, hopefully we can kind of keep the ball rolling. And you're doing a great job, and there's wow. such a great ecosystem around this around the world that, uh, that, that people can tap into so easily now. When, when I started... Yeah, there wasn't LinkedIn, there wasn't podcasts, there, there wasn't you're really access. old. I mean, you're, yeah. you're old. Yeah. You're old man. I don't know that. Not that old. <laughs>
pretty give me, old. Give me one favor, though. More anvil in your logo. More anvil. Oh, you know what? Our, it's a f- funny story. Our trademarking um, for Forgeworks, actually, you're not allowed to trade something that's literal. Okay? So, so our, our, for our trademark um, description actually says in the Australian trademarking thing that the provision of sort of safety and risk management services, specifically excluding the bending of metal... <laughs> We're not allowed to trademark ourselves for services that involve the bending of metal. Specifically. Specifically. Specific thought, metal yeah, bending. Yeah. Psychic metal bending all day long. There you go. Yes, yeah, Specific yeah. metal we bending. We can bend and, and, and manipulate people and organizations, right. but not metal. Wills. Yeah, wills. Uh, you can yeah. bend a lot of stuff, just yeah. not metal. Absolutely. Man, thanks for your time. This is no fun. Problem. Thank you. So there you have it, a pre-COVID-19 conversation with David Proven. I'm glad you got to meet him. If you don't know him, he's someone you want to meet. Just as nice and as kind as the day is long. And that goes a long way with me. I mean, kindness seems to be really important. You know what? I I'm, I should probably talk about this in a whole podcast. But I'm mostly fixated on the notion of generosity. Um, and I think that's going to be a real big delineator um, when we look back on lessons learned from our adventures with COVID-19, the tragedy of COVID-19. Generosity is going to be key. Uh, Cultures are going to be made and sunk based upon organizations and people being generous. Not to be too depressing because it can't be, uh, that's, that doesn't get us anywhere, but I did want to take some time and let you enjoy the sweet musings of David Proven. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. It means so much that you're here. It's really nice to have you. And I mean that. That's a that's a really good thing to have. Listen a lot. Tell your friends. Hang out with me more. You're always welcome. Uh, I, I enjoy having you as a part of this conversation. Take care of yourself. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Be generous. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. <music>